If you are like me, you have probably heard the Lord's Prayer being prayed like this. Our Father, Lord, In today's episode, we'll look into why we pray it like that, and why is it such an integral part to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. You are listening to Meet and Write, a podcast that dives into liturgical worship and how communion really begins after church. You know, growing up, like throughout high school and college, I remember hearing a lot of my, my friends from school, you know, either at a Bible study at school or maybe on campus when I was an undergrad, and I would attend like a Bible study at their place, and you know, and I would notice how they would pray. It's very different than some of my friends from church. They would end their prayer by saying, in Jesus' name, and everyone would say, Amen. To me, that was brand new. Like, I grew up, always you finish a prayer, and you always say, make us worthy to pray thankfully, and then you say, the Lord's Prayer. And especially if you are an Orthodox Christian, you have probably noticed in any liturgical service, the Lord's Prayer is recited, recited not just once, but multiple times. So where did this come from? Why do we say it so many times? And why is it such a pivotal part of our relationship with God? So to get to the answer of this, we need to look at two records of Jesus' life. So we have four. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the Lord's Prayer is recorded in two Gospels, in the Gospel according to St. Matthew and then the Gospel according to St. Luke. And something that we notice written in all the Gospels is that, you know, Jesus would be around tons of people, and then he would set himself apart from everyone else and kind of reset himself and would go aside privately in prayer. And the disciples would notice Jesus doing that. He would be a bunch around a people. He would be around a bunch of people, and then he would step away by himself. And the disciples noticed that he was praying. But here are some Jewish men seeing Jesus from a distance and noticing that the way he is praying is very different than the way they pray. So the disciples ask Jesus, "Hey, like we notice that the way you pray is a little bit different." than us. Like, we knew, we knew how to pray since we were kids. We, we were taught that, but, but the way you pray is a little bit different than us. And get this, Jesus then corrects them on how to pray. Think how awkward that is for a second. Imagine that you're praying, and then I tell you, okay, you know, that was great, but you know what, L- let me tell you how to pray better. It's kind of awkward for Jesus to correct them in their prayer, and this is what Jesus told his disciples. Chapter 6 of the Gospel according to St. Matthew. Jesus said this, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Jesus is telling his disciples, Okay, you see how they're praying? You see how they're so externally focused in their prayer? Okay, you know, that's good that they're praying. Let them do their thing. You know, they'll have the reward, but I, I don't want you to follow that model. Jesus continues, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in a secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Maybe we haven't put much thought into this, but if you notice, out of anything Jesus could have said, he highlights the environment, the setting, of where we pray. He's trying to teach his disciples, it's not, it's not about just doing it. It's not about the external focus of, of people seeing you. It's not about that. In reality, it's, it's a private relationship. It's a, it's a private conversation with you and God. Jesus continues. 
And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. Jesus is trying to point out to his disciples that the Pharisees thought they could bend God's will toward them. The Pharisees were, were praying, thinking that they could bend God's will toward them. Jesus continues, For your Father knows the things you have need of them before you ask him. So wait, am I saying that, well, we shouldn't pray then because, you know, God already knows what we want? No, Jesus is telling his disciples it's not about asking for things. It's so much bigger than that. Prayer is not just going off a request list that I want this, I want that. Jesus is saying it's so much bigger than that. Yes, yes, your heavenly Father knows what you need, but that's not the point of prayer. You're missing the point altogether. And then Jesus ends by saying this, In this manner, therefore, pray. Or another translation says, This then is how you ought to pray. And then Jesus then begins to give his disciples a template prayer, the framework of how they should initiate a dialogue, a conversation, a relationship with God. And this personal prayer that that Jesus is about to set for his disciples is pushing them, is pushing the disciples for them to to surrender their personal will and for them to, to surrender their personal list of requests to God but pushing them to think and to, to pursue God in such a bigger light than just asking for things. Before we get into the text of this framework prayer that Jesus gives his disciples, we notice that this is such an integral part to ancient Christianity, the Lord's Prayer, our Father, that we even have records within the first centuries of Christianity. There is a manuscript of a book called the Didache, which the apostles record various things of how a life with Jesus or how how a life with the Holy Trinity looks like and what that should entail. And one of the things that they write down, including the Eucharist and baptism, they talk about the form of prayer. And they talk about how the Lord's Prayer should be an integral part to our communal prayer as the body of Christ. So we see that within the first few decades of early Christianity, within the first century. We also see the Lord's Prayer being used with Christians in the first century when they came together to break bread or when they came to celebrate the Eucharist. We see it uh, in the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, which we do not pray in the Coptic Orthodox Church, but it is part of ancient Christianity tradition, and the liturgy of St. Basil, which is we traditionally uh, pray on Sunday. This was an integral part to liturgical text and to ancient Christianity worship and prayer is the Lord's Prayer. There was a church father in the year 200 AD from Tunisia. His name is Tertullian, which is a great name. Tertullian says that the Lord's Prayer embraces the characteristic functions of prayer, the honor of God, and the petitions of man. So within the first hundred years of Christianity, the followers of Jesus understood that this model prayer, this template prayer that Jesus gave his disciples is integral and it is so loaded with everything we need to reunite ourselves with our Heavenly Father. They understood how important it is because this template prayer transcends humanity to divinity. That this prayer transcends humanity to divinity is not just about asking for what 
I want, or it's just a, I, I need to come to God, so I need to ask him for X, Y, and Z. It is so much bigger than that. The very first words that Jesus told his disciples, he told them, okay, listen up. I'm going to teach you now this template prayer. This is how you ought to talk to God. This is Jesus talking to a bunch of Jewish men, and he said the very first word that you say to Yahweh, that you say to God, is Father. We take it for granted, but this was a game changer for these Jewish men, for them to realize that their first words that they say to God, the great, the eternal, the eternal being, this first word that you say is that you call him Dad. Maybe we say father, maybe that's more formal, but like, you know, I wouldn't tell my two-year-old daughter to call me father. I'll ask her to call me daddy. It's more informal, it's more personal. And Jesus is, is inviting his disciples. He is inviting you and me to call him father, to call him dad. That God is not just some supreme deity up high in the sky, but he is a relational father. One text that we have from our liturgical text is near the end of the Liturgy of the Faithful, we have the fraction, which can vary depending on the season or various other factors. And there's one fraction that ends like this, which leads into us praying the Lord's Prayer. We say this, accept this sacrifice from us, that we may come to you and you come to us and dwell within us by your Holy Spirit. And with your favor, we call God your father, a father to us, and we cry out saying, our father. So we are, are, we are joining the disciples, we are joining Jesus by calling God our father. But through Jesus, God is not just some supreme deity high in the sky, but now he is father. And Jesus is inviting us to, to build that relationship with God the father. And this is the very first word. Like in English, our first word is, is our. But in reality, in many other languages, and the language that Jesus told his disciples, the first word is father. Like th this was the very first opening word that Jesus told his disciples on how we ought to pray. And for deacons or leaders of the church and in and, and, and any type of uh, prayer setting in church, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, it shouldn't just be in this monotonous tone of our Father who art in heaven, if we are talking to God and Jesus invites us to call his father a father to us, then we should talk to him in, in a personal way. Like, you don't come and talk to me and you say, hi, Father Nathaniel, how are you? You doing okay? No, it's more relational. It's, hey, Father Nate, how are you? It becomes a little bit more personal. So when we talk to God, we should, we should pray to him. We should talk to him in the same manner by saying, our father, who arts in heaven, it becomes personal. Because Jesus is inviting us to call God a father to us. The second word that Jesus gives his disciples, or the second part, he tells them, he says, you say, our father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So right from the get-go, Jesus is pointing out to his disciples that the name of God, yes, he is daddy, yes, he is father, yes, he is this, this personal um, father to us, but at the same time, his name is above every other name. His name is, is, is something or someone we cannot even fully comprehend. That his name should be holy. This is why God told the Jewish people that you call him I am. When God tried to describe himself, he said, I am who I am. 
He is the eternal being. This is why you will see in our liturgical text, we, we say that God is the being, eternal. Like we're using words that don't even grasp who he is fully because we cannot grasp him in a mind through our, through our limited mind. We are limited, but we are pursuing the unlimited. And the unlimited has invited us to call him Father. So his name should be hallowed, or his name should be holy. The next part says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And, and, and if we fully understand this, we understand Christianity. If we understand this part that Jesus gives in the prayer, then we understand Christianity. We're asking for God's kingdom to come. But for us to understand that, we have to understand what is God's kingdom. God's kingdom is where there's perfection, where there is bliss. This is paradise. This is what we desire to, to be a part of, is his kingdom. So we're asking for perfection. We're asking for his will to be done. Like in, in God's kingdom is the perfection of his will. We want his will to become a, a divine reality in our lives today. So we are saying, God, your name is holy. Yes, you are our father. We want your kingdom to come. The next part we say, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's easy to say this, but super hard to live this out, where we say, God, we want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done, not mine. I need to surrender my will. It's not my will. It's thy will. Yes, I'm limited, but I need your unlimited love. I need your grace to fill my life. I'm trying to do life by myself. I'm trying to fix these problems myself. I can't. It's not about my will. It's about thy will. Maybe I think I know what's best, but I'm limited. But I come to the creator of the universe, the creator of all the galaxies. I come to you seeking life, seeking love from you. So I want your will to be done, not my will to be done. This is why an exercise that our Orthodox faith gives us in prayer is that we put our hands out, we put our palms out when we pray. And this is an external expression to remind us of an internal truth. This is an external expression to remind us of an internal truth. And this is true for various spiritual exercises that the church gives us. It's not about doing the external thing. It's not about doing the sign of the cross. It's not about a prostration. It's not about putting your hands out. But these are external expressions to remind us to reflect an internal truth. So when I put my hands out, I'm saying, Lord, it's not about my will. It's thy will. I am in need of you. I've been relying on my intellect. I've been relying on, on me trying to fix my own life. No, it's not about me. It's about you. I want your will to be done, not my will to be done. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth just as it is done in heaven. I want your will, God, to be, to be done on earth just as it is perfect in heaven. Just where your love is perfect in heaven, I want it to be a reality on earth. Just as your will is perfect in heaven, I want it to become a reality on earth now. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give me what I need today. Yes, my mind runs 1,000 miles per hour thinking of tomorrow and what's going to happen if this happens, what happens next month, what if this happens. Jesus is already ahead of the game. He knows that we struggle with anxiety and always thinking of what if, what if, what if. 
But out of anything Jesus could have said in this template prayer, he tells his disciples, for you to say, give us this day our daily bread. He overemphasizes to, to, for this, for right now, this hour, even in the prayer of Thanksgiving, which we, we pray in the Coptic Orthodox Church in, in, in various liturgical services. We say, for you have brought us to this hour, that the church is trying to, to get us focused on being grateful for right now, because it's easy for our mind to just think, well, what if this, what if that, and for us to let loose that way. But Jesus and the church is telling us for us to focus on today, on this hour. Give me what I need today. And many church fathers are pointing that Jesus, when we pray this, Jesus is not just saying for us to pray for, you know, you know, you know, pray for, you know, my breakfast or lunch today. Give me my food that I need today. But it's about the eternal food, about the medicine of immortality, which many uh, church fathers will quote, which is us communing with God which is the Eucharist. Give me what I need today, which is your body and your blood, which gives me life. Now, the next part of the Lord's Prayer is really tough to, to live out, and, and, and Jesus really challenges us by putting this out. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. So we're saying, God, for God, forgive my sins, forgive my trespasses. And then now, like, for me to just say, oh, God, forgive my sins. Okay, you know, maybe that's, that's kind of out there. Maybe there's no bar of what that really means, or I'm not painting a picture of what that looks like. And then Jesus says this to, 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 to really grasp what that looks like. Lord, forgive us our trespasses, just as I forgive those who do something wrong to me. We're saying, God, forgive my sin, just as I am forgiving the person who did something wrong to me. Just you know, forgive my sins just as, you know, I'm forgiving that person who said that thing to me, that texted me that thing, or did this thing in my life. Just as I am forgiving them, Lord, forgive my sins. Now, Jesus now at this point is pulling in two relationships. He's pulling in a vertical relationship with, with us and God, and he's also connecting a horizontal relationship. So at this point, we're saying, Lord, forgive my sins. We're putting the focus on the vertical relationship, saying, Lord, forgive my sins just as I am forgiving my brother, my friend, my boss, my, my spouse, my family, whoever it is. Lord, forgive my sins just as I am extending grace and patience and love and forgiveness to the person in my life. It is hard. It is hard. But when we pray this, we are praying this into reality that I'm, I'm wanting to take these words and live it out and make it a reality in my life. The last part of the Lord's Prayer ends with a doxology. Actually, a church father by the name of Origen, he says that, 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 that prayers should end in a doxology. So if you really look at the Lord's Prayer, it begins with a doxology and it ends with a doxology. That way you say, our Father who is in heaven your name, divine, your name is divine. Your name is holy. Your name is above any earthly name. Your name is above this world. We begin by this doxology, and we end it with a doxology. For yours is the power, yours is the glory. Where we push it back to God, that we, that we worship him, we put, that him belongs everything, and not, it's not about us. It's not about my will. It's about thy will. This is the Lord's Prayer. And every single prayer, every single hymn from our ancient faith has its roots 
in the spirit, in the essence of the Lord's Prayer. This is why Jesus made such a big deal about the Lord's Prayer. This is why when we pray, we make a big deal that we end every prayer with this communal prayer because it captures everything. It, it, it realigns us. It resets us on what to pray about because sometimes when we just pray by ourselves, like we don't know what to say. We kind of just like go off like thinking about just me, 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 what's best for me. God, help me with this. Help me with that. But when we end any personal prayer back to the, to the Lord's Prayer, it, put, it, it forces us, it pushes our heart to focus not just on me, but something bigger than myself. It pushes me, it challenges me to forgive those that have hurt me. It pushes me that I need to be communal, that the Lord's Prayer is saying, Our Father, that, it's, I, that I'm not designed to live an isolated life, that I'm designed to live a relational life with others in the body of Christ. Something for us to apply this coming Sunday. Sometimes you'll hear the Lord's Prayer being prayed inaudibly, like many other prayers in our church, which is totally fine. And sometimes you'll be it being prayed audibly. Something that we do in the church that I serve at in Atlanta is sometimes we'll pray the Lord's Prayer inaudibly. And if your church does that, take advantage of the time for you to focus on one part of the Lord's Prayer that you need to live out. One part of the Lord's Prayer, maybe that's resonating with you in this season of life. Maybe, maybe you're having a hard time forgiving that person. Maybe focus on that part of the Lord's Prayer when, when you are praying it inaudibly. Maybe you're, you're struggling with always thinking of what's happening next in your life and what if this, what if that. Maybe take advantage of that time to meditate or to pray on that part of the template prayer that Jesus gave. And then other times when it's prayed audibly in the church, pray it, pr truly pray it audibly. Join the body of Christ, say it with a loud voice, and not just mumble it and just say it in two and a half seconds, but, but, but embrace the entire template prayer, the framework of prayer that Jesus gave his disciples. The word disciple just means a student. So just as Jesus gave his 12 disciples, we are students of Jesus as well. We are his disciples as well. So just as he gave that prayer to them, we are called to live out that prayer. From a historical uh, part, people who were interested in praying, uh, who were interested in becoming uh, Christians uh, within the first few centuries of Christianity, they would only learn this prayer right before their baptism because it was a personal prayer. It was an intimate prayer to call God Father. My prayer is that next time that we pray the Lord's Prayer, maybe we can look at it through a new lens or embrace the beauty and the depth and the richness of our church and why the church has embraced the Lord's Prayer to be an integral part to our communion with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You have been listening to Meet and Write. For more episodes and resources, make sure to check out CopticHymnsInEnglish.com.